Well, if you'll grab the Bible, uh, your Bible, we are in the book of Philippians. Uh, Lisa's going to have to keep up with me today because my, uh, my little switcher was not working for the PowerPoint. But we began the book of Philippians, and we kind of went over the background. We hit Acts and all that. How did Paul end up in the, in the uh, town of Philippi? So that'll be online if you want to go back and listen to that if you weren't here. But back then, when people wrote letters, they would put their greetings at the very beginning of the letter. It's a personal letter. You know, we, we always put the greeting down at the very bottom, you know, sincerely yours, and you put your name or something like that. But they introduce themselves at the very beginning. Um, Paul is usually brief. If you go read most of the letters that Paul writes, uh, it's a very brief opening. But this town, these people, as we talked about, he loved them. They supported him throughout his ministry, and he really knew and loved these people. So he is not brief on this. He goes a little further, and he starts out, and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now, in other places, he refers to himself as in the apostle. Uh, or one of the apostles, usually because people are fighting about stuff, and he's like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm the apostle here. I have the authority, basically, is what he's saying. And he says, wait, the Lord has anointed me, so listen up. So stop fighting, stop sinning. But here it's, it's completely different. He's saying we're servants together. The Greek word here for servant means bond servant. It means to bind together. You could arrange to be bonded to someone. You could, um, you could choose to be a servant. We don't like the word slave, especially here in America with the history and so forth. But back then, you could go, uh, uh, you could go, you know what, Ken, I owe you money. Now, really, I don't owe Ken money, but, you know, pretend. Okay, I owe Ken money. So, therefore, I'm going to sell my child to you, so Brandon's going to come and live with you and be your servant for a particular amount of time. And people would do that with their children. And for a particular t amount of time, they would stay there, they would work and whatever until that, that elapsed. And then once it was over, he was free to come back and live with Lisa and I. So we get rid of a child for a couple of years. So, but you could also do that as an adult. You could go and say, look, you've taken care of me for all these years. You're wealthy. If you allow me to be your servant and treat me well, I will, I will they, they literally would pierce their ears and put a little thing in their ear, um, and you would be, and you walked around. People would knew you would be a bond servant. You're binded to that family. And Paul's using that analogy here that we are servants. We are bound together. It benefits both people. Legally bound to the master as a boss, maybe for life, maybe just to pay off the debt, or, or maybe you become the tutor for their family. Uh, many times these people would come like family members. We use this term as in a binding contract. The most obvious example of that is what? Marriage, Right? You become bound together. You sign a legal document, and you go before uh, you know, the, the registrar's office, and you actually sign your name, and then you go to the ceremony. Hopefully, there's more to it. Hopefully, there's a, there's a, there's a relationship, religious aspect with God being involved in all of that. Okay, But Paul has been a bondservant for 30 years. Paul used to be called Saul, and his old masters were invisible, invisible 
One of his masters was pride. Pride is a thing that can wreck your life. It can, it can just total it. It hid your flaws. A desire to be, to, to be approved of or, or to be respected. And if, you're, and if you don't get approval or if you don't get respect, then you are going to fear me. That's what comes out of that. These are the things that Paul was bounded to or bonded to before Christ. Now, you can add other things. Perfectionism. Never quite enough, right? He was, a, he was, he was addicted to a list of do's and don'ts. I mean, it's like the OCD. You know, you had the list of things that you had to do. Terrible masters and brutal bosses. And Jesus came to redeem us from the masters in our life. And he released Paul, and this is what he did for him. It's ironic that Paul is in Rome, as we talked about last week, writing a letter to Philippi. Because five years earlier, he was writing a letter to Rome. He was the one who challenged us, as, as you read the book of Romans, to see that we're all serving together. We're all serving. Because we are all serving you know, a type of master. Every one of us are serving someone. We as Americans don't like to hear this at all. I'm an American. I can take care of myself. I have rights. I don't serve anyone. But you're wrong. You're wrong. It is not if we are serving, but who or what you are serving. Here is how he says it as he writes a letter to the Romans in Romans 6. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, though, though, you, uh, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example for, from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to the impurity and to the ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves of sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you, you now are ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit of you, uh, you reap uh, leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The righteousness is a gift purchased and handed to us. We had a birthday party yesterday for little Simeon, and he turned four. I, I heard this last week, he had a birthday hat on all day at school, and somebody come up and they say, well, oh, it's your birthday, and he'd just go, four? and just walk away, because he knew what the question was going to come, right? How old are you, right? But, you know, we gave gifts to him, and he was all excited. This is a powerful thought. Jesus gave this to us. He said, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin, but the Son sets you free, and you will be free indeed. So following Christ is a binding relationship 
but one that releases us from the old masters, a binding that sets us free and protects us. In this binding, it's, it's like the, the poorest bride being, being like bound to the wealthiest groom, right? Because <laughs> there are way more benefits to us than to Jesus. There's way more benefits to us. We have hit the lottery. We have hit the jackpot. We inherit his abilities. The creator of life becomes our partner in every situation. And come to find out, we're not lonely anymore. I can go to God and say, well, what do I do now? What do I do? I'm in the middle of this situation. What do I do? And this is great when life takes a hard right turn. I tell you, we, we can all come up with stories of when life hit us, right? When other, you know, lose a job, money's not coming in, someone we love passes away unexpectedly, an accident happens, but God knows our needs. Hang in there and trust the Lord. Let him carry you through difficult times. So as we hang out with mature followers of Christ, as we read the Bible, as we actually pray, then we start to learn the voice that coaches us, all while being bound with a master. We talk about relationship that is great with God, but to outsiders it looks restrictive, okay? Outsiders look at you, and especially when you're younger, uh, to not want all the stuff that others want and, and look at. And instead, we look to Christ and say, should I do this or should I not do this? It actually makes life a little simpler. Now, not easier, but simpler. Choices are made for us, in a sense. If it's good, it's okay. If it goes against God, if it's evil, nope, not going to do it. It's a simple thing. Not easy, but simple. And soon as we realize he has trained us to answer it ourselves, then we're not striving for things that don't help us anyway. Our problem is, is that we keep using the word Lord. But we go out in the world, and the world says, oh, that's just a religious word, and minimizes it. And this is exactly what the devil wants. Why do I even need a Lord? What does the Bible mean when it says we serve a Lord? We need to get that question right. Because we are asking people to become servants of God. Why would they choose that? It is just a language, they think. So how do we break this down? Well, the Lord is different than any English or French or, or German Lord. Jesus doesn't live in a castle, right? demanding his servants, you know, for his every beck and call. No, this Lord, our Lord is, is opposite of this. He lived that way, you know, or he lived the, that way from his birth to his death. Our Lord, you know, carries his obvious wounds on his body. He could have healed those wounds, but instead he left them so we can see the scars on his head, the, the scar, you know, on his feet and his hands and on his back. When you meet Jesus in heaven, he will have those scars. That is our Lord. He didn't get those scars fighting to retain his estate. He got those fighting for us. 
for each and every one of us. He didn't demand us to go into the battle for him. He did it so we, the servants, could join him at the mill and that he would serve us. Our Lord Jesus, you know, would be best friends with, with everyone serving. He is a connecting type of person, not judging other people. Our Lord even went to the enemies and said, spend eternity with me. I mean, that's very confusing for us, right? How many of you would go to your, your enemy, the person that you dislike the most? And I dare say use the word hate, but we shouldn't hate, you know? But how many of us would go to them and say, hey, spend eternity with me? No, we're thinking, no, you can go to, well, okay. It's very confusing. Then he says in John 15, I don't call you servants anymore, and I want you calling each other servants. I call you friends. I chose you, and you responded. My father is your father. My resources is your resources. This sounds a lot different than a servant-master relationship that I've ever heard of. We must be careful how we use religious language before we lose people. Let's be creative in how we talk about our Savior. What is God's agenda with you? Sit down and figure out this week. Well, he, he wants me to behave. No, 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 no. That's religion. Well, he wants me to give money. No, 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 no. Again, that's religion. Anytime we use the voice, you know, that voice of, uh, the, you know, that, well, God wants me to do this. You know, that thing, think of that as more of a religion. The Apostle Paul says, before we even chose to serve him, we were already servants. We were just living in denial of who we serve. We were serving other bosses. And if we say we're not, we're lying to ourselves. And these bosses aren't so benevolent. When we serve other bosses of anger or rage, to giving ourselves permission to text or, or call someone and give them a piece of our mind. And we say, well, that's just the personality that God gave me. Yeah, right. No, you're just being a jerk. When we give ourselves permission to do that, we're wounding precious relationships or the potential of those relationships. We're creating loneliness in our lives when we do this. When we serve approval, it's a bottomless pit. Imagine you're getting together with 10 people. Nine of them think you're great. One of them thinks you're full of crap. Are you okay with that? Or do you pursue that person all night, trying to get them to like you? We need to go, I'm still here. They hate me, that's okay, no big deal. I'm still standing. They're still stupid. Okay, no, not really. You know. But when we serve approval, it destroys us. It's a terrible, terrible Lord. Other things we serve, lust. Even when you don't get caught. See, getting caught is not the issue. Sometimes getting caught is actually the best thing that could happen to you. But when we serve lust in our relationships, it violates every pure relationship that we have. You violate it enough, you lose the relationship. And then you go toward more, more impure things in your life. And you end up hanging out with all these impure things. And they become your Lord. 
Now, when we serve greed, we become slaves to the very possessions that we purchased. We start to serve them. Earlier, I mentioned pride. We live in a bubble that, that someday will get popped either by another prideful person that comes along that's got a bigger pride package than you do or an extremely honest person. Pride puts us in competition with other people instead of appreciating them for who they are. There's other things like covetedness. Can't hang out with people who have things that we want. It prevents that. We serve, a, you know, we, when we serve any consumable, okay, anything we eat or drink from, from, okay, I don't think anybody's on cocaine here, but cocaine all the way to chocolate, okay? It's the excess that can kill us. When we serve pleasure, it dumps us every time on the beach at the end. It is over, we say. Oh, man, that, well, that was good. And then we're right back to life. And we start this high to low to high to low to high to low. The cycles of wanting pleasurable experiences instead of enjoying everything. Eventually, you run out of time, money, or energy. Then you run into someone who tells you about another vacation and lies to you on, on Facebook about how perfect it was, and you're thinking, I'm still not there. We want to serve masters. It's our nature. Sometimes we serve mean masters. This is why I'm trying to convince people to serve my master. He's not a mean master. Choosing to be bond, you know, bound to Christ who has already bought you, has already bought your contract from the former masters. He's already died for that. But you must sign on the dotted line in order to the, for the transition to be complete. Now, if you don't sign with Christ, it's your own fault. You're bound to these terrible, demanding lords of our lives. It's a decision that you're making. Not choosing Jesus means you have chosen something worse than Jesus. Is that okay with you? If you block the transaction that has already been made with your other masters, see, Satan wants to come in and scoop you and get you away from, from Jesus, all the way to misery. Now, for those of us who have chosen Jesus years ago, you might be thinking, wow, I'm really glad he's preaching the truth right now for other people. Well, let me ask you something. For the next 48 hours, since you are an extremely religious person, I'm not trying to rag on anybody, but as your pastor, I'm going to tell you to do something, and as your pastor, you must do it, right? Okay, maybe not, but I encourage you to. Here's what I would love. I would love for you to evaluate your hour-by-hour -hour transactions with people, your motivations, or at least three times this, this week at least, sit down and think about it. How are you using your money? How are you using your time? What have your words been like? What has your thinking been? What are you thinking about a lot? What wakes you up at night? What comes to your mind? What am I trying to get someone else to do? How am I spending my time? And here is the real thought. 
even though I tell people I'm serving the Lord, is it just a religious phrase to me now? Or am I really a bondservant of Christ? Has the contract faded? Maybe a little dusty? Maybe I can't even find it in my house somewhere? Did I serve Christ this week at all? And what external evidence would be there of that? In other words, am I still serving him? In some cases, we might, be, you know, we might find out that we're acting like the Lord upstairs, the, the Lord in the castle. Ring the bell. Christ is downstairs as our servant, and he's supposed to come up here and say, Yes, Lord Allen, do you need anything? I don't know about you. I slip into self-centered thinking sometimes. I know, hard to imagine. I mean, is anyone else like that or just the pastor? You know what I'm saying? I look at these selfless, godly people throughout history. I love to, to admire them, and it's just the imitating part that I'm not always so fond of. You know what I'm saying? Do you ever feel like that? You ever feel like Christ owes you after everything you've done? I mean, we would never verbalize that. We would never say that out loud, but we're like, you know, going through a situation where we're like, really, God, really? I mean, come on. You're really going to put me through this. <laughs> Why would you do that to a great guy like me? Was that intended for somebody else and I just kind of slipped in there? Did I have a misunderstanding here? Every day, people like me should ask myself, will I be serving the Lord today or will I be serving me today? Jesus said nobody can serve two masters Okay, now, so Paul had every right to refer to himself as a servant. His life literally proved it. If you read through Acts and, and his writings, he considered himself a very blessed person in this contract, living, you know, day by day in obedience to, to you know, uh, to just doing everything the Lord wants him to do as much as possible. My prayer would be all of us would want to serve Christ wholeheartedly. And use what the access that we have, you know, we have this tremendous power in Jesus, and if we would just use it, we shouldn't just dabble in Christianity. It should change us in a meaningful way. It should. You dabble in Christianity, you're missing out. Will you go to heaven? Well, I mean, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's what the Bible says, right? I'm going to let God decide that. I don't decide that. But you're missing out on the blessings of God if you just dabble a little bit. You have your belief, but if you just dabble. I talk to people uh, all the time. Uh, you know, well, you know, my family, we're not very religious. We're, we're Christian, but we don't really attend church. We haven't really, you know, and I'm, I'm just like going, well... Those two statements don't really mesh together well, you know. And sometimes I can get in deep conversations with them. Sometimes I don't, you know. But we, we have to allow God to change us in a meaningful way. We're not, we don't know how many days we're going to live, right? My son Grayson told me last month, I'm going to live to be 100 years. I'm thinking, woo, you're going to have a fun 92 years, you know. He's eight. He goes, I believe that God wants me to do that. And I'm like, that's good, okay. I just hope that he craves the life that God wants for him. 
in those remaining years, however long he, he has. We don't know how long we're going to live, but what are we going to do with it? For God, that's the question. To have goals that don't serve ourselves, to say, I trust you, God. You plan my life for me and direct me along that path. In 62 AD, Paul was the most famous Christian in the world. But the longer he writes, he gets more and more brutally honest. And at the same time, more and more humble. Somehow Paul is moving down the corporate ladder instead of up. And as he's doing that, he's gaining more and more respect. Humility is attractive. Pride is ugly. So how do we not just appear humble, but to become humble? That is what you need to be thinking about, how to express true humility to other people, because people are tired of the chest thumping of, I am so great. I mean, this is why I pretty much you know, stopped watching all sports. And if you know my history, I grew up sports all the way. I was an athletic trainer, went to college on scholarship for athletic training, taking care of you know, injured athletes. And I've seen it all. I've met some, some phenomenal athletes. But I tell you, the chest thumping, ugh. I got so tired of it when I dropped out of sports. I don't, I don't even watch it on TV. I'm not sure if they're great role models for kids. It's all about the team until I make the touchdown, right? See, the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of this world. The Lord are bosses of this world. They lord it over you. They flaunt their authority every day. In fact, um, Sharon read the verse in Mark 10, starting in Mark 10, 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become or must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. For, the, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, God wants us to serve because he knows that we're already serving someone, something. So the question is, whom are you serving? Who? That's a hard question to answer. That's what you need to be thinking about this week. Knowing that the God of this universe wants you to serve him. That's the greatest thing. All the years of our life. Doesn't mean life is easy. Doesn't mean life is golden. That everything's perfect. It just means that you can be stable. Because you know in the end where you're going and where you're headed. And I truly say that is the best feeling in the world, knowing that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Though I'll go through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that Christ is right with me as I go through that valley, and I know there's an exit on the other side. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't you stand as we pray, and the worship team will come and finish us out this morning. That's verse one. We only have 102 more to go. I'll go a little quicker. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for offering us a, a different way of living, a different way of life, a different boss to serve, a different Lord to be in charge.
And I pray that you teach us humility in a, in a, in a graceful way, that others would be attracted to you and your kingdom, that we not lord it over those who are under us in any capacity. Pray that you give us the love and the grace and the peace of you and your life, that that can be passed on to those that are, that are in this world that we come in contact with. Now the Lord bless you, and, uh, bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he watch over you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen.